0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. How many of you have ever watched a political debate before? Sadly, probably, right? Now, they're, needless to say, they're a little bit interesting. A, a moderator asks a question to one of the candidates, the candidate responds to that question, and then the other candidate is given the opportunity to rebut the answer of that candidate. But here's the thing, in order to understand the positions of each of the candidates, it isn't enough just to listen to what they say. It's also important to listen to what they don't say. For example, in some cases, the answer a candidate gives to the question has very little in common with the question that was actually asked by the moderator. Or they only answer half of the question and deliberately leave some of it unmentioned. So to really understand a political platform of a candidate, you have to listen to their words as much as to their silences. And the key figure we're going to be looking at together today in our story has a lot in common with these political candidates. His name is Balaam. And while this story is certainly famous, especially for kids because of a talking donkey, I don't want us to miss the main point of the story. I've had a lot of people tell me this week as they've been going through the Bible study how confusing of a story Balaam's story is. And I understand that, but what if I told you if we thought of Balaam as much of a prophet as a politician, it might help us but better understand what we're going to read together. That is the key to understanding Balaam. Not so much what he says, but also understanding what he doesn't say. This story is all about a battle of words, just like a political debate. And as we're going to see together in Numbers 22, Balaam is going to learn an important lesson that our words matter to God and that God's word to us is not at all like a politician's word to us. So let me just invite you to take your Bible if you haven't already. Hopefully you're getting used to where Numbers is. We're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 22. As a reminder, we are in the Old Testament book of Numbers throughout this whole summer in a series that we have called Life in the Wilderness. And we've been learning, if you're following on your notes there, from the Israelites that we can journey with courage and faithfulness in the wilderness. As Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, we certainly find ourselves as a nation, as a world in one of those wilderness times right now with the COVID crisis. And I got to tell you, I'm excited because I think this story will speak directly to how we live through this with courage and faithfulness. And as a heads up, even though it's three chapters, you'll see there on your message notes, I'm really going to be camping out in chapter 22 and then briefly mention some of the things from chapters 23 and 24. However, I will say this is a bit of a confusing text. So if you don't mind bowing your heads, let's pray for God to open our eyes to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have left us your word. Your word is life, your word is a sword, your word is truth. And we want to learn from your word together today. Help me to be an instrument of your word, but I pray beyond that your Holy Spirit would be working in our midst, whether we're here in person or at home sitting on our couch right now. We are trusting that you want to do something new in our lives. So teach us from the story of Balaam, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, which says, Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. So right away, we just notice, as the Israelites have been journeying for 40 years through the wilderness, they're there. They're right across the land that God had promised them. If you know the rest of the story, Jericho is the first city that they enter. So the time has come. The journey is coming to an end. Verse 2. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. That's a reference to a a battle that the Israelites had just won. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pithor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So notice the story begins with a man named Balak. He is the king of the Moabites and he's looking across his border in terror at his new neighbors. I know you've all had probably some neighbors where you're like, "Oh, no." But this is really bad for Balak here. Now, he had no clue that God and the Israelites had no plans against the Moabites, but he's afraid, and he comes up with a plan to destroy the Israelites. Now, of course, we know there are no such thing as weapons of mass destruction in these ancient times, but Balak is sort of looking for another way towards that. And the way you would have a weapon of mass destruction in these days is you would hire a prophet or a a seer or a diviner, and you would have them come and place a curse on your enemies hopefully tipping the scale of how the gods were working behind the scenes and that's exactly what Balak was after by sending these messengers to Balaam he has a reputation for those he curses they're cursed and those he blesses they are blessed and so if you're on your notes with me this morning again Balak wants to hire Balaam to curse God's people Now, just so you know that the Bible isn't just made-up stories, there is actually evidence, non-biblical evidence, of Balaam. He was an internationally known prophet. I also want you to just think of it more, not just as a prophet, but he was actually a seer or a diviner. Balaam would take the entrails of animals and then he would try to read the will of the gods or he would use those to manipulate the wills of the gods. So Balak sends messengers to Balaam to try to hire him to come and curse the people of Israel. He says, notice this really important verse, I know that whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. Now, if you are a Jewish person reading that right there, tornado sirens would be going off in your mind right now because that is almost an exact quote of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, including for us still today in the New Testament. In fact, let's look at what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12 together, verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So look, the stage is set, right? In the red corner, we've got Balaam. And we've got Balak. And in the blue corner, we have the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, who promises that his people will always be blessed. Who's going to win this battle of blessing? Let's pick it up in verse 7. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you what the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Now, this is a surprising twist in this story because Balaam uses the personal name of God here, Yahweh. But I don't want us to jump too quickly to conclusions that somehow Balaam was an orthodox follower of God. Like all politicians, Balaam was very clever at pulling out the God card when it suited him to do so. He obviously knew who the Lord was, but his exact relationship with God has yet to be made clear. And so rather than seeing Balaam as a follower of Yahweh, it is preferable for us to understand that he is a sorcerer, a diviner who could get the spirits or the gods to do his bidding. And so again, if you're on your notes, Balaam sees Yahweh as just another deity he can manipulate for his purposes. Yahweh is just another deity that he can manipulate for his purposes. Now, the truth is, we can do the same thing at times, can't we? How many of us have ever prayed things like, Oh, Lord, if you just help me get a B on this test, I promise that all whatever, right? Or God, if you get me out of this sticky situation, I'll go to church every Sunday the rest of my life. We're doing the same thing that Balaam does, right? We're trying to manipulate how God interacts in this world and in our lives verse 10, Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. Now would you read verse 12 out loud on your notes there with me? It says, but God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must put a, not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Sorry about that. Verse 13, the next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now that all sounds and looks good, but I want you to remember Balaam is a politician and Balaam responds to Balak's messengers with an edited version of what the Lord actually told him. He changes the answer a little bit, right? The Lord's answer was definitive and clear. You won't go with them because you can't curse them. They are my blessed people. The promise of Genesis 12 still stands for my people today. But what Balaam says to them is simply, go to your own land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, there's no mention there that he is not able, no matter what, to be able to curse these people. They've been blessed by God. He just says, I can't go with you. I can't go. Think of it like this. When my son tells one of his friends that he can't go outside and play because his dad told him he has to finish his homework, he's not saying, I'm glad I don't have, can't go outside and play. He's making it very clear. I would really like to go outside and play, but I'm being held against my will. And that's similar to Balaam's response here. When Balaam says, the Lord refused to let me come in Hebrew, he's clearly implying that personally, (laughs) I would really love to come and get the gold and silver that Balak is offering me. If only the circumstances had been different. Verse 14, so the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Have you ever played the game telephone before? Right? You give a message to the first person, and by the end, you don't even understand what the original message was. So listen, this is like a game of telephone right here. All they tell him is that Balaam refused to come with us. Nowhere in there does it say he can't curse these people. Nowhere in there does it say that the Lord has decided to bless these people. All Balak hears is that Balaam refused to come. So listen, if you're a king at that point, what would you be thinking? Oh, I see. Balaam wants more. Thinking this is a ploy for Balaam for more money, we then read in verse 15, then Balak sent other officials more numerous and more distinguished than the first. Think of it this way. If he sent me first, now he's sending the big guns. Pastor Jeff is on his way to see Balaam. Verse 16, They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak of Zippor says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Does that sound super pious or what? What? Now, what should have happened right here? Exactly. This story should have ended right here, right? I didn't even know what the application to the story would be. God had given Balaam his answer. He had told him no, and if you're following on your notes, when God tells us no, we have our final answer. But it doesn't end there for Balaam. And the truth is, this can happen in my life at times as well. I take God's no as a maybe. There are clear things that God tells us that we should avoid. There are limits he puts on our lives as his people, but sometimes we just try to go around the no. We try to find loopholes around the no. For example, I know the Bible says that we shouldn't engage in gossiping, but I'm not really gossiping. I'm just filling you in on some information I happen to know about about one of our mutual friends. I mean, I could go on and on with examples, and we all do this. I do this, right? We take God's no as a maybe, and we try to find ways around it. And that's what Balaam does here. Look at verse 19. I love this. Now, spend the night here so I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. Does he need to find out what else the Lord will tell him? No, he doesn't. And again, on the face of it, Balaam's response to the messengers in verse 18 sounded so spiritual. I can't go beyond the command of the Lord my God, but let me find out what else the Lord might have to say to me. Let's not forget, Balaam is a politician, and words are cheap. He tells them to wait so that he can find out if this is a maybe. If Balaam really meant what he said in verse 18, there's no reason For him to invite the Balak's messengers to stay, what part of you shall not go with them? Does he not understand? What did the Lord need to add? That you're not gonna be able to curse them because I've blessed them. For all his wonderful words, Balaam couldn't let the prospect of Balak's gold go without a fight. Verse 20. That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Now important, is God changing his mind here? Really important question. I don't think he is. Like everyone, God has given Balaam the freedom of choice. If that's what you want to do, then you can do it. I've created you with a free will. However, because my people are involved in this situation, there's some things you're not going to be able to do. I'm going to stop you at that. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now, what in the world is going on here? This is where this story gets confusing. God said, go ahead, and then he gets very angry that Balaam goes ahead. Why is he so angry with Balaam here? Well, we'll see exactly why in a little bit, but for now, understand if you're on your notes. God is angry because he knows Balaam's true heart. He knows his true heart. You see, Balaam still thinks. He can manipulate God here. He will do the minimum of what God says, but he also hopes that he'll still get what he wants. So understand, the Lord's not just angry with Balaam because he had gone with Balak's messengers, but he's going with them without submission in his heart. His heart is corrupt. Therefore, God says it's time that you learn a lesson about who is in control here, especially when it comes to my people. Now, I'm gonna just pause right here in the story and offer one of two applications for us in this text. I mentioned earlier, I think this speaks to both faithfulness and to courage and how we can live with both of those things in our times of wilderness. Did you know that Balaam is universally condemned in scripture? Like seriously, he's considered one of the worst people. People in the Bible use him as an example of who to avoid. And at first I'm going, well, he doesn't seem that bad. I mean, there's a lot worse people in the Bible than Balaam, but just look at what, for example, Peter says about Balaam in 2 Peter 2, 15 and 16. He's talking about people who call themselves Christians, but they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezir, who loved the wages of wickedness. But if he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Why is Peter using Balaam here? Because he is trying to use God for his own purposes. He was given the clear command of God, and he decides, I'm going to ignore God's clear command because there is a house full of gold and silver still waiting for me. Balaam lived on the edge of obedience and idolatry. And that is a very dangerous place to live. His idol, as Peter said there, is greed. Peter says, but I wonder, are we really that different from Balaam sometimes? Do we live on the edge of obedience, full obedience? When God says no, God says no. Or do we tip to the other side of that at times as well? Do we try to walk a fine line of faith or greed? Or maybe that's not our idol. Maybe it's acceptance or physical beauty or an intellectual accomplishment or power or possessions or entertainment. I mean, there's all these idols calling us. Do we say no? Or do we say maybe? Like Balaam, we may commit ourselves to the Lord on Sunday mornings with our words, but on Monday, our lives are driven by a different master that is taking us to Moab instead of to the promised land. We may say, I love the Lord, not money. But the truth is, if you were to look at our checkbooks and our spending patterns, it might tell a different story. We may say with our words, God is the most important thing in my life. But then when we examine our actual lives, there's not a whole lot of time dedicated to loving the Lord with our whole heart and mind and strength. Balaam's problem is he's half-hearted. He is not a person of what the Bible calls integrity. And integrity is what God loves. Integrity is someone whose words and thoughts and actions all line up together. They are integrated in their lives. They're aligned in the same direction. And if you're following, what Balaam teaches us is half-hearted faith is not faith at all. That's tough. Half-hearted faith is not faith at all. Balaam is condemned in Scripture because he talked a good talk. But his heart and his actions reveal a different story. That is a very dangerous place for a person to be. And that is why Balaam is condemned. Don't believe me? Jesus said it as simply as this in John 14, 15, up on the screen here. If you love me, if you say those words, if you declare them to others, if you talk about it on Sunday morning, then keep my commands. That's how I know you love me when your words and your lives match up. Don't try to play God, is Balaam's example. Don't try to play God. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. I gotta tell you, this week, as I've been preparing for this, I've been confessing daily to the Lord how much like Balaam I can be. I can try to use him for my purposes. I can be half-hearted in my faith. I can look for the maybes in life. But if you're following, friends, our actions expose the real truth about our faithfulness. Our actions make plain what we really believe. No matter how impressive and spiritual and pious our words are like Balaam's were, they're not worth the breath expended if there's no correspondence between our words and our lives. Part of the reason that Balaam is so condemned Maybe you know this, but later in Numbers, in chapter 25, and then we find out later, he still finds a way to curse the people of Israel, not with his words. He tells the king of Balak here, I got an idea for you. Send all the Moabite women into the camp of the Israelites to try to seduce them, to try them to get to follow the gods of the Moabite ancestors, and guess what? It works. Balaam ultimately proves who he really is. But this story is not really about Balaam just like any story in the Bible this is a really a story about God and the verses that follow we learn that even Balaam's half-hearted faith can't stop God from fulfilling his purposes to his people let's pick it up in verse 23 this is the famous part right when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand it turned off the road into a field Balaam beat it to get back on the road Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Verse 29, Balaam answered, my donkey is talking. Nope. He simply responds, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Perhaps this is where we get the saying, right? We can be blinded by rage. He's not even aware his donkey's talking. He's so mad right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Now, first things first, let's just be honest. How many of you think of Donkey from Shrek when you read this story? Now, I, I just can't help it. We gotta get that out of the way. But let's just pause here for a moment and consider what is so remarkable about this scene. What if I told you the most remarkable thing is not the fact that a donkey is talking. God created all the animals of earth. He can cause them to do anything he chooses them to do. But what's remarkable about this story is that Balaam is blind to this. Here is a man, who is a professional seer, a prophet, the kind of person who makes a living from delivering messages from the gods, and yet he cannot see the angel of the Lord standing there in plain sight in front of them, even though his donkey can. Which one is the real donkey in this story? And you know, I would have rather used a different word, maybe. Which one? the professional seer who can manipulate God, who's blind to God's purposes, or the donkey. Pick it up in verse 32. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose your path, oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. Right there. You wonder why God got so angry with Balaam? You see it right there. He knows his heart. He knows his path is a reckless one. That's why God gets angry. He knows his words aren't in alignment with his actions. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. Now, if Balaam thought his donkey deserved death from his hand, the angel tells him how much more he deserves death for his pursuit of gold and silver against God's will. Balaam then confesses that he sinned by going with the envoys of Balak. Now, we already know this is not a true repentance. We know the rest of the story. It's kind of like, in my opinion, when somebody says, I'm sorry that my words hurt you. Now, that's a real apology. A different apology, Balaam's apology is, I'm sorry that you feel hurt by my words. That's not an apology at all. That's just laying the blame on the other person for feeling hurt. I think it's similar to that, right? I have sinned. I'll go back. Verse 35. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, now go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town of the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied. But what I can't but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. And from here, from here he begins to speak. And we have Two full chapters of Balaam blessing the people of Israel. You can't miss the humor of this story, right? This pagan prophet becomes one of the most remarkable people in history to lay blessings on God's people. He cannot change the word of God. God is not a politician. God is faithful and true. If you're following on your notes, instead of cursing, God uses Balaam to bless his people. This is so good. So good. Let's just read a couple of his blessings from the next couple of chapters. You'll be able to see these, I think, up on the screen here, or you can turn to them quickly. Chapter 23, starting in verse 7. Then Balaam spoke his message. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. Not exactly what Balak was hoping, right? Not really what he's paying Balaam to say. And so he says, let's get a different view of the people and maybe this time you'll actually be able to curse them. Pick it up in chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Notice the juxtaposition there, right? Sometimes we speak and we don't act. God never does. He is fully integrated. Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot change it. Following on your notes there, when God blesses his people, nothing will break his promise. His word is true. He is not a politician. His word stands forever. And his promises are guaranteed. Let's look at one last blessing that Balaam gives. In fact, this is the greatest blessing of them all. It's at the end of chapter 24, starting in verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He goes on to say that this scepter and this star will come one day and he will be king over all the earth and that God's blessing will be totally fulfilled through him. Now, who in the world could Balaam be talking about here? He is prophesying about Jesus. Don't you just love that? God uses this pagan prophet to point to the coming victory, to the coming promise in whom all of God's blessings and promises will be fulfilled. In fact, the beauty of this text shows us that those who oppose God's plans and purposes may actually find themselves fulfilling them for God. This is the central lesson behind the story of Balaam. If you're on your notes, nothing can thwart God's plan to bless his people. Do you believe that? If the Lord has decreed your blessing, do you know that nothing and no one can take it away from you? This is why we can live in courage even in the present situation we find ourselves today. Even in the wilderness, we hang on to the truth that we have been bought by Jesus Christ and he will see us through. He is not a politician. His words and his actions are true. When I'm facing forces that are opposed to me, I need to remember God is sovereign. No weapon formed against me will prosper. It means that when we face enemies, and we will face enemies, Satan, the principalities and powers of this world, God's plans can't be thwarted because he is for his people. The Lord is fully committed to blessing us. He is loyal to every person who calls upon his name because he made a promise to Abraham. And that promise is still in effect for followers of Jesus today. Did you know that? Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians. Let's read it together. Galatians 3.26 on your notes there. It says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. A promise I gave to Abraham 3,000 plus years ago still applies to you, Jesus' follower. You are blessed this promise includes a future home, an adoption into God's family that can never be taken away from us. Now listen, just because God's promises are sure does not mean that we will never suffer persecution and hardship and trials. Nor does it mean when we look around this world that we won't see the wicked people prospering more than we do. But listen, God has written the end of the story. He's written your end of the story and it ends in victory. Victory. God, if you're on your notes, is sovereign and is working all things to his purposes. So let me just ask you do you believe God is working COVID to his purposes? Do you believe God is working your health hardships to his purposes? Do you believe God is working our present culture that is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel to his purposes? Do you believe that nothing and no one can stop God from fulfilling his blessing and promises to his people? I mean, think of it like this. God's promises are like a stream coming down a mountain. You can try to block that up for a time and certainly Satan tries to block that up. Our world tries to block that up, but the law of gravity always wins. Eventually that stream will make its way down the mountain. In a similar way, God's promises cannot be thwarted. His blessings for us will never be stopped. Though human history may place all kind of blockages in order to stop it, in the end, he has overcome. Jesus said this very thing. Let's read it in John 16, on your notes. Let's read it with faith. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Praise God. We tend to worry and fear, but if you're following, here's the big idea today. God is in control and can help us live with courage and faithfulness, even in the wilderness times of life. No matter what obstacle you face, friend, and there's gonna be obstacles, we can trust God is in control and no weapon formed against him will prosper. How do we know that? How can you be sure about that? Because he fulfilled his promise. He sent the scepter. He sent the star that Balaam prophesied about. He sent Jesus Christ who becomes the eternal king who defeated all our enemies. Jesus, the bright and morning star who leads us on our journey home. Because of Jesus, nothing or no one will separate us from that blessing either now or in the age to come. And so if that's true, let's just bring this full circle and let me ask you a question. If this is all true, do you believe this is true? Then will I wholeheartedly live with courage and faithfulness today? That's the question facing all of us. Will I wholeheartedly live with courage and faithfulness, taking God's no as a no, not looking for the loopholes, being a person of integrity, fully devoted to following God, even though it's going to be hard because I know he is. Always comes through. God's promises are sure. Can I get an amen? Now I want to invite you to stand right now. We're going to declare these promises. We're going to look at God's word and read these verses out loud together. If you're at home right now, you're watching, get up off the couch. I know you got your pajamas on. That's okay. We're going to declare God's promise to us, his people today. A promise in Romans 8, 31 and 39. Are you ready? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Let's sing together these words of promise and blessing. Will you join us? Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.